All right, Husky Nation. Um, welcome to Instant Reaction with Mike Martin. This is part of the Sports Illustrated Husky Maven channel. It's a new feature that we have. And uh, today we're, we just got the, the Husky schedule out a couple of days ago. So uh, I have Trevor Mueller on with me and Andrew Percival. And Andrew, if, if, if I know most of you follow on either Facebook or Twitter, and he's one of the biggest stat nerds out there. Um, I do behind the numbers. And so I, I love the, the stuff that Andrew brings. And so when the schedule came out, he was the first person I thought of. And so, Andrew, I want to thank you for coming on Instant Reaction. Thanks, Mike. Uh, great to be here. All right. Well, about three days ago, the Huskies, uh, or Pac-12, I guess, released the the conference schedule for the Huskies. Uh, the non-conference has been set for a while. Uh, but I wanted to get your sort of instant reaction kind of for the entire conference because every time the schedule is released, there's a uh, hashtag fire Larry Scott. And when you look at the Huskies schedule, it looks like it's fairly well balanced. Um, there's an equal amount of uh, Friday night foolery that's going on. Um, are we going to, there might be a Saturday, nine o'clock. We don't know yet. Um, but overall, Andrew, looking at the schedule, do you think that, that it looks like they didn't just uh, roll a bunch of dice, but actually planned it out? And do you think that for, for maybe once, it looks like Larry Scott got it right? Um, I, I do. I do. Now, that's not to imply that there's equity throughout the conference, uh, because for, for a number of other reasons, um, the, the schedules do vary dramatically in level of difficulty, but for the things that the conference office could control, um, such as the, the sequencing of challenging opponents, um, the, the, the road, the back-to-back -back road games, the, the road game with the opponent coming off a bye, the kind of things that John Wilner is really outstanding at, at tracking. Um, I, I, do, I do think that they did a good job this year. I don't know whether that was because they, they were more sensitive to the publicity than they'd been in the past, uh, but I think on those grounds, um, I think they did a pretty good job, and that's uh, really me mostly – channeling Wilner's opinion because he's he's the best with with that kind of stuff um, and he, he seems to think they did a pretty good job and I and I agree well I might disagree with you a little bit about him being the best because um, I think that if, if people follow you um, I think the stuff that you break down um, is is an amazing job and a lot of it has to do with with scheduling and and you know it used to be like you you alluded to it seemed like the Huskies would run a gauntlet of uh, USC, Stanford uh, at, at, on the road, and then they'll get Oregon under Chip Kelly at home on a Friday night. And it didn't really look to me like there was a whole lot of, of that in there. And, and I think that, that you've always done a great job of kind of looking at those as well and really kind of throwing a bunch of numbers kind of to support kind of what I think everybody was sort of feeling that they were seeing from the schedule. Um, but I would talk, the, 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 the one thing that, that, that the conference can't really kind of look at is, or, or schedule is, is the non-conference schedule. And 
when you look at sort of at, at first glance, what kind of what are the maybe five top non-conference games or th that are kind of out there for the conference and how important is it for for the conference to kind of go in there and win half of those games? Um, well, it's it's extremely important. Non-conference play, um, not only does it set kind of the talking heads narrative throughout the year, but it also impacts uh, the numbers and the, the advanced metrics that, that I like to track and that kind of form the basis of my opinions on team quality and conference quality. And so if the Pac-12 goes out and has a phenomenal non-conference season, that elevates the importance of conference play. Um, and, you know, that, that tends to be why the SEC um, is, is regarded as the, the strongest conference most of the time, because they tend to, to win most of those non-conference games. Um, now, for the Pac-12 this year, um, as usual, there are a number of very challenging opponents um, in the non-conference. And I'm a little... Personally, I'm nervous about it because um, most of them involve teams that are, you, you would say, are higher slotted in the conference that they come from than the Pac-12. So, for instance, that would mean that maybe our Pac-12 number six is going up against another league's number three. So when you have a, a, a large number of those type of matchups and not as many of the other way around, um, it, it does kind of raise the specter of, of you know, really challenging non-conference slate. And, and the, the games that stick out the most are um, USC plays Alabama at a neutral site to open the year. Oregon plays Ohio State at home. Of course, our Huskies play Michigan at home. And then Stanford and USC both play Notre Dame as usual. Uh, Stanford this year has USC on the road where USC – uh, I mean, Stanford has Notre Dame on the road and USC has Notre Dame at home. Um, and then you have Oregon State, Oklahoma State, Colorado, Texas A&M, Cal, TCU, um, and Arizona, Texas Tech. Those are the nine power five games that the Pac-12 plays this year. And I, I think that there's a good chance that the Pac-12 is an underdog in eight of those nine games um, with – perhaps the, the one where they might be a slight favorite, um, if, if not a pick em or a slight underdog, would be the Washington-Michigan game. So when, when I looked at the schedule, one of the first things that I thought of was, wow, like a real strong narrative um, early in the season is just, is just going to be that the Pac-12 has its work cut out for it, and there is a lot of pressure on the Huskies to uh, win, win that Michigan game because, you know, Oregon – Ohio State is better than Michigan. Or Oregon is, is probably not going to win that game. Um, and then, of course, USC-Alabama could, could get bloody. So there's a lot of pressure on our Huskies to uh, win that game against Michigan. Well, now, you, you say that USC and Alabama is in a neutral uh, place. Now, USC has been down. I don't think that they're going to – the fans aren't as enthused about that. I, where is that game pl being played? Because as we know, when the Huskies played uh, Auburn in Georgia, that that wasn't exactly a, a neutral field. Uh, that was more of a home game for Auburn. Is this USC Alabama game actually in somewhere that is somewhat neutral? Because we know, we know Alabama won't schedule somebody unless they can tilt things into their favor. Yeah, this, this one's in Arlington, Texas, so it's just like the Auburn-Oregon game last year where 
you know, it, it's it's more new. It's certainly more neutral than the Huskies had to deal with playing Auburn in Atlanta. Um, but certainly uh, there will be more Alabama fans there than USC fans for reasons, both geography and recent performance and, and that kind of thing. So I, it's a better situation than we had to face as Huskies, um, but certainly not uh, not a pure neutral. No. OK. And where do you have the Michigan Washington game? Because this is the the first game, uh, not a bad way to kick off the the Jimmy Lake era if they can win at home. But where is Michigan as far as returning talent? Uh, where do you see them sort of preseason ranked? Um, I see them. So I haven't looked at the, the roster composition closely. Um, what I do is I have a model that takes advanced metrics from the previous five years and then projects early season results based on that. And um, it's been very successful in recent years. Last year, it went um, 77% straight up, 57% against the spread for the first five weeks of the season. And using that information, Michigan is the number nine team in the country um, coming into the year. Now, the good news is the Huskies are number 12, um, be just because last year was a little bit of a dip, but um, they've been you know, one of the stronger programs in the country. Um, the last four or five years. And so um, it sees it sees that early season game with Michigan as, as two evenly matched teams, maybe a slight edge to Michigan. Um, but the fact that the game is played at Husky Stadium, I think will um, will lend that to be a, a very, very narrow spread in a game that could go either way for sure. All right. Well, I want to look more at Washington's schedule, but one last thought. Um, on on that game right there how much do you can, is there any data to support a a debut for a coach being successful or unsuccessful it's a great question i um i don't know i've i've never come across anything like that um so i i have no idea it's a great question i think you know the data the data people tend to be really sensitive about things like sample size um and so I would, you know, personally, I'm not going to have any, any real apprehensions relating to that, that I'm, I have apprehensions about that game because Michigan's a really good team, not as much because um, it will be Jimmy Lake's first day under the bright lights, so to speak. Um, so, but, but that's a great question. I haven't come across anything like that. All right. Well, I want to look at the, the Husky schedule. Uh, if you were to rank them, uh, the toughest to the easiest game um, kind of start at the bottom uh, with the easiest game and kind of work your way up to the top of, of what you see uh, in the, you're probably going to come up with a win probability. So looking at your win probability um, rank the Huskies games worst to first. Okay. So um, th these perceptions are, are really just related to two things and that's, uh, team quality and game location. So whether it's home or road um, and using um, my model, which I call the metrics consensus, um, it has a pretty clearly tiered hierarchy where the easiest game, Sacramento State, no surprise there. That's an FCS opponent. Um, and then after that, um, it has Oregon State as the second easiest game. And, and yeah, they made some nice strides last year under Jonathan Smith, but um, the, in the three, four years before last year, they were 
um, in contention for the worst power five team in the conference. And so the, the advanced metrics tend to be a little slower to react to, um, to, to a team maybe improving and, and, and the, the, that, that's a, that's usually a good approach. Um, and so that game being at Husky stadium, that makes it the second easiest. And then, well, um, and, and I don't want to go back to, to something right there real quick, uh, Oregon state. Now, how much, because we saw Joe Burrow, what he did, and, and Fields at Ohio State, and, and the Huskies with Jake, Jacob Eason. How much do you think that, uh, that there's going to be even more variables for a team's improvement? Because we saw that in the offseason, Oregon State added uh, a pretty, pretty big uh, uh, rush end, I believe, or outside linebacker. They also added Trayshawn Harrison and and Lowe, who uh, just went into the transfer portal in the offseason, or actually during the season, from the Huskies. Um, you know, how much is is sort of – with this sort of free agency that the transfer portal has created, we don't know if those players are going to be immediately, immediately eligible, but is that going to kind of change the equation for you at all? Absolutely, yeah. It, it, a model like this doesn't have any knowledge of player personnel – so in theory, you could kick 85 people off the team and have a roster full of walk-ons and uh, it would not know. Um, and obviously we, we know that that team would not be very successful. Um, so um, yeah, I, I, I didn't know that Treshawn ended up down in, in Corvallis, um, but um, yeah, all, all, of, all, of these, all of these rankings are, are certainly going to be pending uh, player, player movement. Now, I think most of them, you know, I think a, a good approach as a fan would be to, to, to assume that most of them are not going to be game changers. Uh, but certainly if there is a Cam Newton transfer type situation out there somewhere, uh, that could absolutely totally blow these rankings up and, and change the outlook for the whole conference. All right. Sorry to <laughs> interrupt you, but okay. So you have Sacramento state, Oregon state. Um, where do you go from there? So from there, we have three games, three home games where I, I think they're basically the same. Um, whether you put them 10-9-8 uh, or 8-9-10, eight, eight, it, it doesn't really matter. So that's uh, the Arizona game at home, the Colorado game at home, and the Utah State game at home. Now, Utah State has been um, an above-average group of five team the last few years. Uh, I, I'm not sure what they're – what their player personnel situation is. I know they, they had, you know, sometimes a program like that can have a really good quarterback. Like they had Chucky Keaton for a while and, and maybe they're more susceptible to a big loss like that than a power five team, but Utah state's no slouch. So I have those three um, right there from 10, nine and eight. Um, and then. Well, and um, we saw what, what uh, a home slate is for the Huskies this last year. Um, with losses to Utah, Oregon, and they also had USC at home. Um, three three games that I think that that the Huskies thought that the home uh, home field was really going to be an advantage. Is it that much of an advantage anymore? Because when growing up, you'd see, uh, or even at the Stanford game in 2016, where uh, it was loud. Uh, even during the huddle where you'd see Stanford's offensive linemen and their quarterbacks kind of cupping their hands around their ear holes, trying to listen to what they were saying. And this year the crowd was into it, but it 
didn't seem like it was, and this is going to be another topic we're going to look at is, is college football attendance. But um, are those games really, it used to be a seven point uh, home field advantage. Are you seeing that much anymore? Um, yeah. And then I'd add the, the Miami game in 2000, where it's like, sometimes we look back like, man, how did the dogs win that game? And I think the, the electricity of Husky stadium absolutely had something to do with that. Um, you know, I, I, um, yeah. And then the Cal game too, last year, but of course yeah. that was, that was bizarre circumstances with a, you know, a crowd of 20,000 people by the end, if, if that, um, I, I would say, um, I, I think I, I trust Husky stadium, to show up um, when it, when it, when, when the dogs really need it. Um, and I, I think generally in the, in the, you know, picking the metrics world, they, they say between two and a half and three points for home field. Um, and I, I trust it. And so I, I think that, um, you know, even if, even if a team like Colorado is improving um, then, you know, getting them at home, Washington has ascended to a point where um it's going to be really rare to have a team that's in the bottom half of the league one year be capable of beating them at home the following year. That's just something that um, thankfully, you know, I know they're, they're obviously not coaching the guys like that. uh, But I, I I think that I think home field is still a pretty, pretty big deal for sure. Okay. Now correct me if I'm wrong. So we have bottom to top uh, Sacramento state, uh, then the next one was Oregon, Oregon, State, Oregon State, Arizona, um, Colorado, and Colorado Utah State. And Utah State. Okay. So the, the next uh, few games. So uh, that got us to the – that got us through eight. Now, I think the seventh toughest game is Stanford, and the sixth toughest is at Cal. Stanford's at home. Cal's on the road. Um, those are those are pretty close. Um, Stanford is going to be probably the team that uh, my metrics model likes more than uh, most of the the writers. And and my my model was completely wrong on Stanford this year. It, it had them as probably the Huskies' biggest competition for the North coming into 2019, and they had a pretty stunning uh, fall from grace. And and they and they have that well documented transfer portal drama where like their whole roster's in there. So. I'm a little, I'm a little nervous about, you know, really how to handicap that one. But um, Stanford, the fact of the matter was pre 2018, they were a pretty solid program. Um, And so we do get that. We, they did fall off last year and we do get that at home. So that's why I have that game uh, in the seven spot and not, you know, the three spot. Um, But I I think that I'm not ready to, to really throw them down there near the bottom yet, despite the, the season last year. And then Cal, that game's in Berkeley. Um, and Cal was, was not, you know, they, they beat, they've beaten us two years in a row and, and, and certainly the, the metrics could probably be fairly critiqued with Cal because when they had Chase Garbers out there, they were much better than when, when, when they didn't. Um, but, um, it, it, the, the teams, the reason the Cal game is number six, when I think a lot of, a lot of people might peg it a little higher, it, it just goes back to the big picture evaluation that they have not been a really strong above average P five program in, in recent years. And the metrics take the approach of like, you kind of have to prove that you're, you're that before they're going to reward you. So I got the Stanford as the seventh toughest and at Cal as the sixth toughest. Yeah. The, the Bay area, man, they have not been kind to the Huskies in football and basketball. 
in uh, the last eight months. <laughs> Let's move on from <laughs> from uh, Silicon Valley. So um, as the fifth toughest game, I have the Apple Cup, um, and that's just out of deference to the fact that the Cougs have been, even though, you know, and even even me as a fan, it's like you kind of feel like, you, oh, we don't even really need to worry about that one just because of the way things have beautifully unfolded since 2012. Uh, but the Cougs have been a pretty, got, a pretty good team, a slightly above average P5 team over the last several years. Um, and the game is in Pullman this year. Um, and with a new head coach, I mean, who knows? I, I don't even, I haven't even read, I don't know what they're going to do schematically. Um, but I, I think that the, the, that game uh, is, I think, I think putting it as the fifth, I think as the fifth toughest game on the schedule, that's the right spot for it. Um, okay, now here's a question that I have for you uh, that I've always wanted to ask you about uh, games like the Apple Cup, uh, Red River Rivalry, Civil War, Iron Bowl, uh, the big game. Um, they always say that you can throw out uh, the records, throw out the stats. Does that actually hold true when you look at rivalry games all the way across the board, or are there just as many upsets in those games as there are in college football? That's a great question. Um, I, I can't answer it with 100% certainty. I've never um, come across anybody that tried to answer that with data. Um, if I had to guess, I would say that that's mostly television cliche um, and that the, the, the odds are not going to be significantly different of an upset um, in a rivalry game. Unless Mike Leach is throwing the ball 73 times. <laughs> yeah, well, then that decreases the odds of an upset. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we're now up to Wazoo, and now we're into Murderer's Row. Yep. So um, as, the, as the fourth toughest game on the Husky schedule, for me, that, that's, there's, a clear one, there's a clear one game that fits there, and that is USC. Um, USC is down as a program. We know that, uh, their bowl, their bowl showing was awful. Uh, there's all sorts of negativity and drama surrounding the program that, you know, we're kind of enjoying from up North. Uh, but they were the metrics consensus, you know, 28, 29 team, and, and they'll be projected in the metrics consensus to be the nation's 22nd best team next year. So that coupled with the game being in Los Angeles, um, that is certainly not an easy game for, for the Huskies. So I have that in the four spot. Um, and then the top three, you, you can really put them in any order because uh, the, the model is, has them all within really a point and a half, two points of each other. But uh, the home game against Michigan, and that's because Michigan is the metrics consensus toughest team on the Huskies 2020 schedule, uh, but it's at home. So if, if forced to choose, I would put that as the third toughest. And then the two toughest being at Oregon and at Utah. Um, and so the, the, way that, um, the, way, the way that the metrics consensus uh, views the, the schedule, it would say that three of the five, the, the three toughest games on their schedule all happen in the first five weeks of the season. Um, so the, our first, first six, first six opponents of the season. So that, that is uh quite the uh, quite the front-loading 2020 schedule for the dogs. All right. Now, the the Michigan game, despite them being 
Uh, not what you you said. They're the sixth or seventh or ninth or twelfth. I, I, I got them number nine heading into next year. Number nine. Um, does how much is first given season home field advantage? Uh, new era. Um, is there any? Thing. You have the Huskies twelfth uh, or something like that. Yep, twelve. Twelve. So where does where does um, I mean does that really just come down to a game day pick them how healthy they are coming out of uh, fall camp? Is that kind of what you think it's going to come down to? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, um, if the the news coming out of one camp is demonstrably better than the other relating to injuries and that kind of thing. Um, then absolutely that, that could impact the odds. Um, I think the, it, it is really, really difficult to quantify the effects of like a totally new head coach and, you know, a, a, a new vibe surrounding the program, which the Huskies will have. Um, and so really, yeah, that, that game is just a huge unknown. Um, all that they're, you know, the point spread will just, it'll, it'll, the, the handicappers will do their best to just uh, parse how strong each team has been in recent years, because even though there's all these possible storylines and player personnel, you know, that still remains the most reliable way to, to pick football games is just a really, a really strong sense of how strong they've been in, in recent years. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it's really no more complex than saying like, Washington is probably a little bit worse than Michigan, but they get them at home. Washington's probably a little bit better than Oregon and Utah, but they get those teams on the road. And so that's kind of what, what throws those three games together um, as being the, for me, the clear three toughest games on their schedule. All right. Um, we're going to kind of look back again, overall from a conference who has the toughest schedule, who has the easiest schedule overall. Um, well, uh, for me, there is a very, very clear toughest schedule, and that is USC. And the reason why is twofold. Um, number one, they have, uh, they're the only team in the conference that plays two power five non-conference opponents. Uh, they have a long history of doing that. Um, since 1946, according to the, this measure of SOS that I track, they've played the toughest schedule uh, with Notre Dame in college football history. They have a history of ambitious scheduling and they get Alabama and Notre Dame next year. Um, and so you, you throw on top of that conference play where the miss sequence this year has them missing Washington state and Oregon state and playing Washington and Oregon. Um, they are, um, I believe one of, one of two teams, maybe one of three teams in the South, the other two not being real contenders that plays both Washington and Oregon. Um, so you, you, you take that, throw it with their non-conference schedule. And that is just a brutal, brutal slate for USC. Um, plus, plus they no longer have the home field advantage because uh, you know, they're getting 17,000 people that show up. So their home, <laughs> <laughs> their home yeah. schedule isn't that tough either. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, so much negativity surrounding that program right now. Um, and it's, it's USC. They're never truly bad. But um, it is, you know, and a point of fascination with me since the conference expanded to 12 has been they decided to group Washington and Oregon together and make them always play the same opponent in Los Angeles. 
which has the effect of making it so that every every year one of the LA schools plays both Washington and Oregon and the other one plays Washington State and Oregon State. So given what we know about the you know potential of those four programs in the Northwest, that is a huge, huge uh, deal. And so that takes us into the easiest schedule in the Pac-12, which for me is clearly UCLA. Um, two reasons, they don't play any Power 5 opponents in the non-conference, uh, which is really unusual for UCLA. That's certainly, that's a result of a cancellation of some sort. Um, that's not reflective of institutional ambition at all. Um, and that, that, and they missed Washington and Oregon. And so those two things combined, um, that, that uh, they're the only team in the South that misses both Washington and Oregon. So UCLA, uh, it's, a, it's a good year for Chip Kelly. They might not improve in quality that much, but they're definitely going to win some more games. All right. Um, where does uh, Washington's schedule rank kind of uh, toughest, easiest? I've got the Huskies with the second toughest schedule in the Pac-12. Um, and the reasons for that, uh, kind of the, the same concepts that we've been talking about, uh, non-conference play, they are one of um, one of three teams and four teams in the conference, if you include Notre Dame um, as, a, as a real heavyweight power five non-conference opponent. One of four teams in the conference to play one of those teams with Michigan. Um, and they play both. They play USC. Not only do they play all of USC, Utah and Oregon, uh, who are the metric consensus number two, number three, and number four teams in the league. Not only do they play all three of them, but all three of those are on the road. Um, and so you, you look at like Oregon has Ohio state come to town. That's a really tough game, probably tougher game than the Huskies have with Michigan, but they miss Utah and Utah. They miss, they miss Oregon. Uh, don't play a power five. Um, and so I think, I, I think to me, it's pretty clear that, you have a pretty clear number one, a pretty clear number two, a pretty clear number 12 uh, in terms of level of difficulty with the schedule. Um, and I, I do think that the Huskies, they, they have their work cut out for them. It's going to be tough. All right. Now looking around the Pac-12, um, Larry Scott said that one of the answers that he gave to an, uh, an interview that has haunted him was that he would rather have um, parity than a, cha- uh, a national championship contender. Um, has he learned his lesson when it comes to trying to maybe protect some of the teams that are going to be favored to win the Pac-12 this year? I don't know. That's a great. That's a great question. I, um, I, I think you know just just because a league fails to produce a one-loss champion doesn't necessarily. It could be more reflective of the quality at the top not quite being there. Um, and, and I think that we, in the last two years, we have seen that, like, I, I do not blame the, the schedule really on, uh, the PAC 12's failure to produce a playoff team. Uh, cause I think if you took those, those contenders and put them in the sec, um, even if granted in the sec or the big 10 East, um, or even the big 12, um, I, I think that, um, it's, it's not a, it's, it's not the reason why we haven't put a pl- team in the playoff, but I, I, that being said, um, every year LSU and Alabama each have a bye before they play each other because the conference office recognizes that there's something special about that game. Um, and so I certainly hope that the PAC 12 is doing exactly as you're saying, where they are maybe taking a, 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 a political administratively politically incorrect 
position of actually kind of acknowledging some of these hierarchies and being sensitive to them and scheduling. I certainly hope so, because it's, it's already hard enough. Um, so I, I, I as, a, as a Washington fan, it would infuriate me if, if um, you know, ever Oregon had a buy and we didn't. And I think that's happened in recent years. Uh, this year, it's the other way around where Washington has a buy before the Oregon game. But uh, that's almost kind of a compromise because Washington is the only team in the conference that doesn't have a buy in conference play. They have to play nine straight Pac-12 games. So to me, um, I, it, it, do, it does look like they did a pretty good job this year at, at really avoiding uh, the egregious mistakes. Kind of like Wilner says, you know, with refereeing and officiating, you just want to avoid it's, – it's a hard thing to do. It's hard to make everybody happy but you want to avoid egregious mistakes in, in both. And I, I do think that they've, they've done that. And Trevor, I want to get uh, to you looking at the schedule. Do you see any trap games? You know, um, the one, and it's interesting, Andrew, because you have it pretty low on the list, but with some of the positivity coming out of Oregon state, I know it's in Washington, but with, you know, the, the news that Treshawn Harrison, uh, that just came out a, couple, a day or so ago, uh, that he's going to be at Oregon State. Um, they have offensive weapons. And the fact that, you know, Jonathan Smith has shown that he is a great offensive mind um, leading that Oregon State team. I could see that as a trap game. Um, I don't see some of the other ones maybe in the middle of the pack as much because there is the factors of, you know, Colorado beating Washington last year. Um, I, so I would maybe take a look at Oregon state because I don't think the rankings have caught up yet to what Jonathan Smith is doing down there. Yeah. And it's between, uh, it's sandwiched right between Oregon at Oregon and at Utah too. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about, uh, Utah and the South. Uh, do you, do you see, who do you see, uh, first I'm going to go with you, Andrew, who do you see as the South winner? I see the South winner for the third year in a row as Utah. And the reason for that, um, I, I see Utah as maybe a slightly better team than USC quality wise. Um, and that that's just reflecting what the metrics say going into 2020. But uh, because of the scheduling inequity that, that we discussed with uh, USC having to contend with both Oregon and Washington, the, the big boys of the North, uh, Utah only has to play Washington um, and it's at home um, and they get the USC game. The USC game is in Salt Lake city this year. Um, and so I think that really on scheduling grounds alone, um, I think the answer to that question is Utah. And if you look at what happened in 2019, scheduling is the reason why Utah won the South um, over USC. USC won the head to head, but they dropped two games to um, Oregon and, you know, and Washington, the big boys of the North. So um, I think that uh, if their conference schedules were flipped um, and that head-to-head -head result was maintained, USC wins the South easily. So I think, I, I, I think, um, I think it's Utah. Arizona State would probably be the trendy pick, um, but for me, it's it's Utah one, USC two. Okay, and uh, Trevor, who do you see playing Utah in the Pac-12 championship? Oh boy. Um... Take now, drop those purple tinted glasses, though. I'm I have a really hard time doing that. I'm a pretty big homer. Um, you know, you look at the the north, and of course, at the top of the group 
again, is going to be Washington and Oregon. And they both have question marks at the quarterback position on who's going to lead the team next year. They both have really good defenses. My edge goes to Washington, even taking my purple glasses off because of the returning players that Washington is going to bring back, not only in the secondary, but up front with Levi coming back, uh, Levi on coming back this year and uh, the emergence of Joe Tryon and some of the other edge rushers that they have. I think it's going to be really hard for other teams to score on this Washington defense. Okay. Then for for both of you, and I'm going to throw mine out, and you kind of threw it out there in, in the trap game, but the dark horse for winning the conference for me is Oregon State. Um, I think what what they can do offensively with not a whole lot, and then you, when you start infusing uh, some depth and some guys coming in on the transfer, because we don't even know yet what else. Oregon State is going to bring in off of that transfer portal. They got four big names so far, but with Treshawn Harrison, who is a big physical, they want to call him a wide receiver, but he is he is uh, in the in the Hunter Bryant range, and I think that he can be effective. And uh, Trey Lowe, who who is sort of what they liked so much out of Chico McClatcher. I think Jonathan Smith and Chico McClatcher were a match made in heaven. I, I really fear for what he's going to be able to do with Trey Lowe because that's the guy that I thought we were going to see emerge this year, but those plays never were called. His number was never called. And for me, my dark horse is going to be Oregon State. I think that that they're going to surprise a lot of people. I don't know that they can win it all, but I think that they're going to really kind of pick off a few teams that people are going to really sit up and take notice and go, dang, Jonathan Smith isn't just a good offensive coach, but he has a pretty good handle all the way through that program. Mike, that's a really good point. I didn't even I, – I hadn't put two and two together that – Chico McClatcher's lack of productivity correlates exactly when um, Jonathan Smith left the program. Yeah, and, and a lot of it was to do with health, but sure. um, but the 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 type of play calling where Jonathan Smith likes is getting the ball to guys in space, and that was Chico. He. Uh, he put everything out on every single play, every single play he emptied his tank. And unfortunately those extra hits that he was taking uh, one, he were, would, re- he would spin, he would spin into another big hit. And those, those led to some injuries, but I think you have a tr- guy that Trey Lowe that likes the ball in space as well. So I, I think that he's going to be a, a key to to that offense that was one of the better ones in the conference. We didn't see it this past year uh, against the Huskies because uh, John, excuse me, um, Jimmy Lake knows pretty much how to go after what Jonathan Smith likes to do because he saw it for so many years. But I think that that Oregon State offense, uh, we we saw what what Luton can do, and I think that given another year. Uh, and extra playmakers, that's going to be a lethal offense. It might be the top offense in the conference. Well, yeah, I remember 2016, the Arizona State game, there, there was definitely some X's and O's magic that, that helped Chico just have a great game against ASU. I remember that vividly. 
Yeah. Well, uh, uh, Andrew, who do you see as a dark horse from either the North or the South? Um, well, so ruling out UW, Oregon, Utah, and SC is the, as the four non dark horse eligible of that, of the rest. Um, I've got to go with Stanford. Um, and that's probably, you know, maybe that's dying for the second year in a row with my metrics, liking Stanford a little bit more than the, the writers. Uh, but they, they're, they're only one year removed from being pretty solid. Um, and I know they've had some good recruiting classes from the per player perspective, not as much total number because they always have small classes, but they've signed a lot of good players. Now I'm not the most up to date on just how devastated they've been with that portal stuff. I know a bunch of their guys were in there. I don't know if they've left that could change things, but uh, for me, it, it would be, it would be Stanford. Wow. What, what do you think, uh, Trevor? So I think that Cal is a, also a contender to, um, I don't know. I mean, going Oregon state, you're, you're going with a really dark horse. Um, I'm going with maybe a, a, a <laughs> one of the 50 shades of gray here, but I think that Cal has a chance as well. Cause if the reality is if Chase Garber stays healthy, that's a top 20 team. Um, they have a huge hole to fill with Evan Weaver, but um, that defense has been uh, lights out for the last few years. And if Chase Garbers can take the next step, uh, I think that they can contend for the North. Well, you know, I was going to, uh, you know, having Andrew out here, I was going to, uh, you know, kind of tease this with talk nerdy and you throwing in the 50 shades of gray. <laughs> I might just have to change it to talk dirty, man. Um, <laughs> well, um, you know, overall, though, uh, Trevor, I want to get your sort of um, view of uh, what I've talked to Andrew about initially is just overall, do you think that top to bottom for Washington that that it looks like uh, there's enough uh, hard games early to easy to so that there's not really a murderous row. There's not really a bunch of teams coming off by. How do you feel overall about the Husky schedule? You know, I, I if I look at it as a narrative perspective, it could go really ugly for Washington fast where the, the national media stops paying attention to Washington at the beginning of the year. If they lose to, you know, the potential to lose to Michigan and then, lose to Oregon off of that buy. Um, I personally, I think that it, it sets up pretty well for them. If they win those games, there's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of momentum going forward. I don't love that they don't have a buy during conference play that usually lends itself to a funny loss somewhere later in the year. Um, I'm glad you I, think they're funny. Yeah, I didn't, find, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't find Oregon funny at all. I, you know, I'm married to a duck, and uh, I I find it pretty awful. You know, I I think that I'm not. I've been more upset with schedules before, but if you look at the way that teams are trending now, Washington's home schedule one year is going to look a lot better than the home schedule for the next year. And that's just because they have um, Wazoo on the road at the same year that they have Oregon on the road um, and they have Cal on the road. So that has nothing to do with um, 
the schedule makers, uh, that's just the way that the rotation works in the North. And so, you know, as a fan, you look at it, you're like, okay, the one really good home conference game that they have in the North will be Stanford this year. And, you know, that's just based on past metrics because last year it was, you know, they, they weren't good. They, yeah. Well, we'll get more into were they or were they not good because we have a lot of, of other great stuff uh, coming up uh, during the offseason, stuff that I think that Husky fans are going to find very interesting. I don't want to get everything out there, tease everything right here, but we have a ton of great off-season commentary, and we're going to do some uh, TV shows that we're going to record and put them out as well, and Andrew will be joining us. And um, and Trevor, you more have a, a face for radio like me, so we'll, maybe we'll have <laughs> both of us behind cameras. But, <laughs> but no, we're going to have a lot of, of great content here in the off-season through Sports Illustrated uh, Husky Maven channel. So keep an eye out for, for all of that stuff. Andrew, how can people follow you on Facebook and Twitter? Uh, well, I'm, I'm mostly on Twitter, and I, I'm just at, uh, at PDOG206, P-D-A-W-G-206. Uh, love, love tweeting about college football in general uh, with a definite lean toward, towards our Huskies. A lot of a lot of metrics nerdery. If you got any questions or want to yell at me about it, uh, if I ever take it too far, which is quite quite often, uh, then yeah, please please hit me up. I I love the conversation. All right, and Trevor, where can everybody find you? So you can find me uh, on Twitter at Fourth and Inches. That's uh, my podcast that I do with Husky Maven with uh, my co-host Jake Grant. Um, we're also on Facebook, Trevor Mueller, Instagram, Trevor Fourth and Inches. Um, we got our Fourth and Inches that comes out weekly during uh, twice a week during the season. Um, we do about every other week in the off season. We're going to ramp it up after the birth of my son here in a couple days. Uh, and then we also are doing a podcast, Husky Hardcourt. Um, that's Jake and I and um, former Husky Noah Dickerson on recapping uh, two games a week. All right. Good stuff. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Mike Martin. If you found this, you already know how to get a hold of me. But it's um, at Howlin Husky on Twitter, Mike Martin on Facebook, and and on Instagram, although – I'm not the most Instagram savvy. Trevor, I know I said it was going to be a little bit shorter than it was, but I appreciate you uh, coming on and helping out putting the show together. For for uh, Dog Thoughts, Fourth and Inches, Andrew Percival, uh, this is Mike Martin. Go dogs. Go dogs. Let's Go dogs.